Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora, nau mai haramai ki te au hurihanga. Hello and welcome to Our Changing World, ko Clerk and Kananahau. I work with a really talented bunch of people at the podcast team here at RNZ. One of these is senior producer William Ray. William is the writer and host of the multi-award winning Black Sheep podcast. If you haven't heard of it, go check it out. He's also writer and co-host of the Aotearoa History Show. Again, I highly recommend it. But when he's not making history-related podcasts, one of William's main pastimes is nerding out over dinosaurs. He reads about them, doodles drawings of them, picks apart Jurassic Park movies. In fact, I kid you not, his internal RNZ photo is a picture of an inflatable dinosaur sitting at his desk. In short... William is into dinosaurs. So when he and I discuss what topic he might cover to make an episode of Our Changing World, around the same time that the Auckland War Memorial Museum announced that they had secured a second T-Rex fossilised skeleton, it really seemed like a no-brainer. Hope you enjoy. It's early in the afternoon, 66 million years ago. We're sitting in the shade of some trees near the bank of a river in what will one day become Wyoming in the United States. Crouched next to us is one of the largest, deadliest creatures ever to walk the earth. Tyrannosaurus rex. an adult male, over 10 metres long, weighing more than 7 tonnes. We're sitting very still, but not as still as this dinosaur. The only sign it's even alive is the slight rise and fall of its flanks as it breathes, maybe the occasional flare of a nostril or anticipatory twitch of its tail. It's staring towards the river. A herd of Edmontosaurus are clustered around the water, maybe 100 metres away. These duck-billed dinosaurs are enormous animals in their own right. The largest is more than 13 metres long, weighing about 7.5 tonnes. It's bigger and heavier than the largest African elephant. But they're no match for our T-Rex. And if they get just a little bit closer, you'll have them. Over a short distance, tyrannosaurs can move pretty quick. They're too big and heavy to run, but... Their legs are so long that even walking, they can reach 30 kilometres an hour. That's faster than most humans can sprint. And a single bite from those massive jaws is almost always going to be fatal, even for something as big as an Edmontosaurus. The Edmontosaurs suddenly look up, sniffing the air, calling to each other. The Tyrannosaur freezes. Has he been spotted? 
The closest in Montessor is barely outside of strike range. Maybe you should push his luck and make the attempt anyway. Just to our left, there's a noise from the undergrowth. We turn our heads just in time to see a blur of something massive flashing past us. It slams into our T-Rex, sinking its teeth into his leg. Jaw muscles bulge, and there's a sickening crack. In a single bite, his leg has been shattered. He tries to turn, to fight back, but he can't stand. His attacker backs off a few steps, waiting for the end. It is, of course, another T-Rex, a female, older, bigger and heavier than the male. Within a few short minutes, our T-Rex is dead. The new T-Rex watches, but she doesn't take another bite. She didn't kill because she was hungry. Tyrannosaurs are intensely territorial, and this male had made the mistake of wandering into her hunting ground. After a few more minutes, she wanders off along the river. The shocked Edmontosaurs watch nervously as she vanishes around the bend. A few days, or maybe even a few weeks or months later, a storm hits. The river floods, and the body of our Tyrannosaur is buried in mud and sand. 66 million years pass. His flesh rots away, his bones turn to rock. In his case, due to some slightly unusual processes in fossilisation, they turn a dark black colour. Then, one day, he's dug up, sold and shipped halfway around the world from the United States to Auckland Museum. And somewhere along the line, someone gave him a name. Peter. Two mics for the dinosaurs? Indeed. (laughs) One each. (laughs) Just walking into the atrium of the museum, honestly, I had butterflies in my chest. I've been obsessed with dinosaurs since I was little. I've never really grown out of that. And I still doodle pictures of dinosaurs in meetings or during interviews or sometimes when I'm reading scripts, like right now. But anyway, looking at these two giant dinosaurs side by side, it's just an awesome experience. And I'm lucky enough to get a special tour from Auckland Museum's Nick Yates. Standing in front of us, what are we looking at? Uh, We're looking at Peter the T-Rex and Barbara the T-Rex, two very rare T-Rex specimens that we have the pleasure to host here at uh, Tamaki Paingarehira in Auckland Museum until late 2023. I was going to say, it seems very unfair that Auckland gets two T-Rexes and Wellington and the rest of New Zealand get none. I know, we're very, very lucky. We've got a great relationship with an anonymous um, benefactor who has um, lent these two T-Rex specimens for quite a while for our visitors, which is very exciting for for us, but also for the region, but also for New Zealand as well, Um, and that I hope people over the summer holidays come up from around the country to see what is a very rare event having two T-Rexes, a male and female, uh, supposedly for the first time in the whole world together on display, which is quite cool. And what I think is really cool about these T-Rexes is that they demonstrate the kind of like yin and yang, I guess, of like T-Rex life. On Peter's side, I mean, he seems to have met a particularly grim end. 
Absolutely, yeah. So as you can see in front of us, um, William, on that right femur there, Peter was uh, crushed with the bite force of another T-Rex. And the reason scientists know that is there wouldn't have been anything else during the late Cretaceous with that kind of bite force to get through that massive chunky femur other than another T-Rex. So probably a victim of exo-cannibalism by another T-Rex. So what's exo-cannibalism versus just straight-up cannibalism? (laughs) I don't think I've got a good <laughs> answer on the spot. But it's, all right, it's all right. It's, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. I googled it after the interview, and apparently exocannibalism means eating another member of your species which isn't a member of your own family. How, how, how long did it take to figure out that this is definitely, you know, the, the femur definitely has been bitten in half? Because, you know, you get broken bones all the time in paleontology. That's pretty normal. Yeah. But you can actually tell that, that some, something really bit this thing. Yeah, and I guess this sort of uh, modelling the impact on the femur um, just showed really significant bite force that, as I mentioned, I guess there's not really anything else in the late Cretaceous with that kind of bite force. And I guess if we look at Peter's skull in front of us and we see um, the space for the large muscle attachments and this the size of the skull and the shape of the snout, is it's still the most powerful, I guess, uh, bite out of any land animal ever. So really um, something, something else in terms of bite force. I should say, we don't know for sure that the story I told earlier is definitely how and why Peter died. But at least one paleontologist thinks Peter's most likely cause of death was an attack from another T-Rex in a fight over territory. It's impossible to say, but but you can look at the modus operandi. You know, you can look at it and say how it was killed. and, And we described about this osteophagy where they bite and chomp through bones and then you see that there was no scavenging after that fact that leads me to believe that it was just killed ruthlessly unnecessarily not for food so you think that this was sort of some kind of fight over territory or or mating or something like that fight over territory or mating and just the fact that hey here's too many uh, of your guys you know they were overpopulating and so nature's response to overpopulation and modern analogs is do this type of of killing and without scavenging actually just basically going around killing others of your species this is dr david burnham a paleontologist at kansas university and a t-rex specialist He studied both Peter and Barbara. You can find his papers on both at the Auckland Museum website. We'll include a link in our show notes. T-Rex obviously holds a special place in our imagination. For about 90 years, it was the largest predator known to have existed on land. So it featured in all kinds of books and movies. You said you've got a T-Rex. Uh-huh. Say again. We have a T-Rex. More recently, some other big predatory dinosaurs like Giganotosaurus and Spinosaurus have knocked T. rex off the perch as the undisputed king in terms of size. Sounds bigger. But Dr. Burnham says even if they weren't the biggest, Tyrannosaurs were still something special. T. rex is uh, the epitome of evolution of a predatory dinosaur. Um, Imagine the worst monster in your dreams and giving it superpowers. Um, T-Rex had the the largest uh, eyeballs of any furbit on the planet ever. So they could see, you know, thousands of yards of distance. Uh, They had uh, the largest hip muscles of any known animal. So you've seen the legs on on a T-Rex. They're just huge and powerful. 
um, the, the brain is is larger than any other dinosaurs. The sense of smell is fantastic. Their teeth are the largest animal of any predator. The bite force is the strongest known of any animal. I mean, I, I mean, the more I think about it, the uh, it, it's just bone chilling what these animals could do. And if it weren't for that uh, a little space rock that fell out of the sky, we might have to deal with those animals today. The biggest proponent of this idea is the world-famous paleontologist Dr. Jack Horner, who acted as a consultant for the Jurassic Park films. Here's Dr. Horner explaining his view of T-Rex at a museum in Singapore about nine years ago. Uh, we know that T-Rex couldn't run fast. We know that T-Rex had bone-crushing teeth. We know that there were lots of them, and there's always lots of scavengers. We know that they had a very good sense of smell over long distance. Although, if you've watched Jurassic Park, you'll notice Steven Spielberg didn't go along with Dr. Horner's view of T-Rex as a slow, sedentary scavenger. Must go faster. But anyway, Dr. Horner's theory was that smaller, faster dinosaurs like Dakota Raptor, which has been found alongside T-Rex, would hunt down and kill bigger herbivorous dinosaurs. They would then eat up most of the soft bits of their prey, but they didn't have the sheer strength needed to break up the bones and get to the last little morsels of meat and bone marrow. That's where he reckoned T-Rex would come in. It would lumber up and use its massive jaws to crunch up the bones. Now, Dr. David Burnham thinks it's probably true that T-Rex scavenged from time to time, but he doesn't agree with Dr. Horner that Tyrannosaurus was too slow to catch its own prey. So Hell Creek, which is the name of the formation that describes the rocks where these fossils are found, is an area that we can interpret as having lots of rivers and streams. And so if you look along rivers and streams today, there's trees. So these things could have hid and waited for animals to come up in water, and they could just launch. And you don't have to be fast to catch something. You think about the, the stride. T-Rex can take one really quick step and even though you're a faster runner, you know, you know you're, you're dinner. And Dr. Burnham says Peter's crushed femur looks like a classic example of how a T-Rex could kill even very large prey with a single bite. I mean, a T-Rex can take a big bone like that and snap it in his jaws, and we see that bone just explodes. Pow! I mean, that's like a 16 bullets going through your body at once. And these things are so powerful and the velocity is so great at the tips of these teeth. I mean, just, just snapping a leg off is enough to kill you. Plus, Dr. Burnham says we now have smoking gun evidence that T-Rex was an active hunter. And that's thanks to some work he and his colleagues and students did on the tailbone of a hadrosaur, which is a kind of duck-billed dinosaur similar to those in Montosaurus we mentioned earlier. They noticed that this particular tailbone looked a little bit unusual. Once we noticed that it was an abnormal tailbone, we x-rayed it and we could see a T-Rex-shaped tooth on the inside. We do find bite marks on dinosaurs all the time that are attributable to T-Rex. But this one was really interesting because the bone had grown around the tooth and sealed it in. The fact this bone had healed around the tooth means this hadrosaur was 
definitely bitten by a T-Rex while it was still alive. If it had been dead, the bone couldn't have kept growing and healing. And that, says Dr Burnham, is the closest we're ever going to get to proof that T-Rex was an active hunter. But there are plenty of more debates about T-Rex. Most famously of all, what's the story with those tiny little arms? Yeah, I think you ought to have a lottery in the museum where people can write down on a piece of paper and put it in a box what T-Rex arms were used for. Why is that? Because we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> their babies to get up when they sleep to help them copulate uh, you know that so it's it's but they used them for something because there's injuries on the arms too and we know they could you know lift three or four hundred pounds so yeah because that's the weird thing eh? because they're so small but they've got like pretty big like muscle attachments and stuff so they're sort of these tiny but very muscly arms that they had and they have claws on the end of the arm, right? On the end of their hand. So, yeah, why do you have claws if you're not using them? Hmm. Another debate. Did T-Rex have feathers or scaly skin? Well, we know some parts of its body were definitely scaly because we found skin impressions. And generally speaking, it would make sense if T-Rex was scaly rather than feathery. Looking at today's animals, you'll notice pretty much all of the largest mammals, like elephants, rhinos and hippos, are all hairless. And that's because once you get above a certain size, animals have more trouble cooling down than staying warm. And the same probably went for T-Rex. But fossil evidence suggests some smaller relatives of T-Rex did have so-called protofeathers, which are basically long hair-like filaments. And some think that juvenile T-Rex would have needed feathers to stay warm, even if they lost them as they grew up. And baby T-Rex grew up fast. When they first hatched, they were only about the size of a house cat, but they grew to full size in less than 20 years. What's even weirder is that once they reached their teens, their bodies changed dramatically, especially their heads. They fool scientists, you know, have for years because we're, you find these juveniles and these babies and they look nothing like the adults. And so they've been called different species. They just don't just grow normally like we have like a juvenile or a teenager. But they have this uh, extra growth phase that happens to their skull where it not only gets bigger, but it, the back of it, it just expands outward to accommodate these massive muscles to give it its bite force. And as the skull expanded out, it actually allowed the eyes to rotate forward. So now they're looking straight forward. And eyes that look straight forward are usually found in predators because that means you got stereoscopic vision, which is good for focusing in on prey. The theory goes that young T-Rex had very different hunting strategies to adults. Because they were smaller and lighter, they could run much faster after smaller, more agile prey. Then, once they hit their late teens, they would start growing those enormous bone-crushing jaws and switch to larger targets. Another argument among paleontologists is whether T-Rex were social animals like lions or wolves, living in big extended families of aunties and uncles and cousins and grandparents, or if they were more solitary, sort of like bears, tigers or jaguars, which tend to live either completely alone or in small family groups made up of an adult and their direct offspring. It's very difficult to prove this one way or the other just looking at bones and other fossilised material. 
But funnily enough, Barbara, the other T-Rex at Auckland Museum, might hint that tyrannosaurs had a more caring side. Because the thing is, just like Peter, Barbara's bones show signs of a serious injury. And when I went to see her with Nick Yates, we took a close look at it. So she suffered quite a severe injury on her left, um, I believe it's metatarsal 2. A metatarsal, by the way, is one of the bones in your foot. And with that, the tendon came sort of clean off the bone. So from what I've read from the scientific report, it sounds like it would be excruciatingly painful life. Her movement would have been really badly affected. She would have been quite slow, pretty much impossible to catch prey um, with that sort of injury. And, I mean, this is, I guess some would say, pretty good evidence that these are social animals to some degree because with that level of injury, even just, like, getting up to to look around to scavenge something would have been almost impossible, right? Yeah, I I think so, William. I think the scientists are quite excited about the possibilities um, that this injury has raised in terms of scavenging, but potentially that group behaviour as well. Because as you say, it would have been extremely difficult without some form of help or at the very least quick access to scavenged carcasses to survive. But Dr Burnham is a little bit sceptical that this healed injury really suggests that T-Rex hunted in packs and helped each other out in the way that Nick Yates was suggesting. The way I look at it, William, is these weren't nice guys. These were (laughs) monsters. They were mean, irascible. I doubt they got along with anybody, including their own. So I don't think the adults hunted in packs. I think they were solitary. And I think when this one, Barbara, got injured, she had to feed off of carcasses until she was healed. I don't think... The other T-Rex came up, oh, you hungry? Want a, want a leg bone to chew on? I don't think that happened. <laughs> I mean, well, what makes you think that they're not social? I mean, is it partly just how many injuries they have from other T-Rexes? Exactly. I mean, and they so they had to have been, like, uh, fiercely territorial to, to get these kind of injuries. And just their size. They're so big. They, they need a, a dedicated range just for themselves just so they could feed. There's one last thing about Barbara's bones that's really exciting. She has something called medullary bone. So when crocodiles and birds lay eggs, they have hard-shelled or calcium-shelled eggs, and so they need uh, that material to make the egg. So they store it inside their bones, inside the hollow cavities of their long bones mostly, even though they can be stored in other bones as well. And so when we find that extra calcium deposit inside the bones, then we know that they either just laid eggs or are getting ready to lay eggs. And am I right in saying that this is the only way of telling the sex of a, tyrann- of a tyrannosaur? There's, there's not really another way to distinguish male from female? Not really. There's been other proposals that have never really made it this far. They've So far, the medullary bone seems to be the only way. Hmm. Because I don't want to sort of like, you know, undermine Auckland Museum, who are very generous and, you know, showing me around and stuff. But they're sort of saying that this is the first time that a male and female T-Rex have been exhibited alongside each other. But it's like, we definitely know that Barbara's female, but we have no way of knowing whether Peter is male, right? <laughs> I think you hit upon a sensitive area, but yeah, I mean, by that logic, yes. <laughs> so we actually we actually have no definitively sexed male T-Rexes 
anywhere then, right? <laughs> they could all be female for all we know. <laughs> well, they'd have to be hermaphrodites, but then that's something. Yeah, yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> and on that bombshell, we'll wrap up this episode of Our Changing World. If you want to see Barbara and Peter yourself, make sure to visit Auckland War Memorial Museum, Tamaki Paengahira. They'll be on display all the way through 2023 and possibly beyond. Oh, one last thing, and my sound engineer does not want me to reveal the magic going on behind the curtain, but you might have been wondering about those dinosaur noises we played right at the start of the show. Now, of course, we can't really know what dinosaurs sounded like, and RNZ won't fund me to go back in a time machine to record them, but we do have a few hints. For one thing, we know dinosaurs couldn't roar in the same way as lions or elephants because they lacked the bony structures in the throat which mammals used to make those kind of noises. But they probably could make a sort of growling rumble, similar to some of their closest modern relatives like crocodilians and birds. And another piece of evidence is that the ear bones of some dinosaurs, including T-Rex, seem to be adapted to hear very low-pitched sounds. In fact, if a T-Rex roared at you, you'd probably feel it as much as you'd hear it, kind of like standing in front of a big subwoofer. So to make our T-Rex noises, we took some samples from some of its closest relatives. The deep growl of an American alligator. The hiss of a swan. And the rumble of a cassowary. We mixed them all together, did some magic sound engineering stuff, and we got this our best approximation of a T-Rex. How about our Edmontosaurus? Well, for those, we just adapted the sound of an emperor penguin. And for our deep, scary T-Rex breathing, well, we took some creative license on that one. It's actually the sound of someone snoring. Special thanks to Nick Yates and Tamaki Paengahira Auckland War Memorial Museum, as well as to Dr David Burnham. This episode of Our Changing World was written and presented by me, William Ray. The executive producer is Tim Watkin, and our sound engineer is William Saunders. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to follow or subscribe using your favourite podcasting app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any of those. And while you're at it, why not check out some of RNZ's other excellent podcasts. I can personally recommend the multiple award-winning Elephant in the Bedroom, a podcast all about the complexities and tensions around race, attraction, and relationships. Matewa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.